and welcome back to the Film Reel cast. It is Stuart back here again. Yet again, we are sadly missing the company of wonderful James and Paul this week. But luckily, I've got Neil with us. Neil, how are you doing, buddy? Hey, it's G. I'm all good. Very good. Excellent. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you are here. It nearly didn't happen. It nearly all collapsed around our ears. But thankfully, we're winging it this week. We're doing 1987 action buddy cop action thriller comedy whatever you want to call it uh, directed by richard donner written by shane black starring mel gibson and of course danny glover and obviously gary Busey. um it's we were going to do film. something we were going to do caliber weren't we we were but that's we decided to go for a christmas film instead in, in <laughs> february exactly <laughs> Would you class this as a Christmas film first? I think so, considering the uh, opening music to the film. Do you film. think any film that has a Christmas tree in it or Christmas music you can class as a Christmas film? Most certainly. Like I say, the best Christmas film ever is Die Hard. Oh, some will say Home Alone. You just never know, do you? Yeah, potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lethal Weapon, I mean... I've been wanting to do this on the YouTube channel for ages and Cobra Kai has come up. The Mandalorian came up and then season three of Cobra Kai came up. Now Wonder Vision's here. So it's a really good excuse to be able to talk about this film. And it's a, a classic buddy cop film. It really, really is. And as we said before, you've got Mel Gibson, who plays Martin Riggs, Danny Glover, who plays Roger Murtagh, Gary Busey, who plays the psychopathic Joshua, um, Mitchell Ryan, who plays the general, Tom Atkins, who plays Michael Hansacker, and you've got the rest of the uh, Myrtle family as well. Um, so I also think that worth saying is Amanda Hansacker as well, played by Jackie Swanson. And I'll say later on why I think she deserves a special shout out. But I mean, this film is 1987. How old were you in 1987, if you don't mind me asking? I was six. You were six. I was 13 years old in 87. God, I remember when this that. came out. And oh, I was very, very excited. Um, oh, that. Because it was obviously still on video and it wasn't, obviously the internet then, didn't have mobile phones then. So, which is weird <laughs> to believe that we had an era when we didn't have mobile phones, which is frightening in itself. Well, that's what my uh, son always looks at me in shock horror because he's nine. And every time I say, oh, yeah, when my when I was a kid, we didn't have such things. And he's, he doesn't believe me. It's mental, isn't it? I remember the yeah. first mobile phone I had that mm. it, it didn't have a capable, like a memory capable on it that you could save numbers. So with it, you've got like a credit card sized <laughs> piece of paper to keep in your wallet where you wrote mobile numbers down on. Oh, you like quick dial any number. It's mental now that I can recall podcasts. Do you know what? The first phone. the first mobile phone I had, I bought in when I was in secondary school. And because I had this sort of job I did at the weekend, so I had a fair bit of money for a young boy. And I decided to go out and get a mobile phone. Problem is, I had no one I needed to phone. And no one ever <laughs> phoned me on it. So I, was, <laughs> I paid like 80 quid for this phone, which was a lot of money back then for no fucking reason whatsoever. <laughs> class, class. Just used to get it out of my pocket in class. I've got a mobile, <laughs> a pointless mobile, but I had one. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I lost train of thought. Okay, um, Mel Gibson, um, 
let's talk about him just for a second. I mean, back in the day that I only knew him from just, I never saw it when I was younger, but from the front cover of Mad Max. A lot mm. of people spoke about Mad Max. And it's a, obviously a cult film, but I just knew him from that. So I felt, and I never obviously wanted to see um, Galapoli. It just at that age, it just wasn't my film. I've seen it since. It's a very good film. So to be able to, to see Mel Gibson, because I was too young, I wasn't allowed to watch the Mad Max film. So I never saw the original. I never saw The Road Warrior um, in 81. So to see him in 87 in Lethal Weapon, for me, felt like a real bonus. I felt like a real grown up, even though I shouldn't have been watching it. Because I'm sure it must have been a rated 18 then. Oh, back then, definitely. Yeah. Um, was a real bonus. So, and since then, I mean, when you look at um, 1987, and I always go on about it, it's because of my age, and I'm sure that people like millennials and stuff like that will have, will say, I don't know, the 2000s or the 90s was much better for films and things like that. But when you look, in uh, 1987, these films, and I said in previous podcasts that if I could stuck was stuck on a desert island and i could take an era of films with me it'll be from the 80s oh certainly most certainly full metal jacket these are just a few um good morning vietnam you got predator another link with uh shane black and you've got wall street i mean there's so many random films the fourth protocol hellraiser evil dead 2 there's just really good films i mean dirty dancing i'm mad enough to say i love that film i bought that on video even when i was younger without even seeing the film and Mm. i still love it i mean mannequin beverly hill cop 2 it's just some brilliant films over the top i don't care secret of my success michael j fox amazing film so i mean 87 was a tough era to get a standout film like this Oh, certainly. I mean, that's the thing. 80s was just full of amazing films, wasn't it? Just action or whatever, especially yeah. action films. It was a huge era with, you know, like Arnie and other such actors like that. But, you know, and then you've got this on top. It's just it was it was by far. And I know I'm similar age. It still is the best era for films. Hands nice. down. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, when you look. At, I mean, they go on about the like the buddy cop films. And obviously, through the 80s, this is when I, I didn't even notice, I didn't even know about buddy cop films. I mean, the first, I think, buddy cop that I can remember is Chips, just because John and Punch were so iconic on their motorbikes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I still love it now. I used to have the Chips motorbike. And that was like when it was, the, I think for me personally, that's the first buddy cop that I can ever remember without knowing the term buddy cop, you know? Yeah. When did that originally come out, Chips? I thought that was, yeah, it's 70s, isn't it? Yeah, I think Chips in the 70s are carried on to the 80s. I mean, John yeah. and Punch, absolute iconic, brilliant. But now it's a, it's a real, it's just a term used all the time. And when you look, a lot of people go back to, and I remember seeing the film, uh, 1986, Running Scared. Uh, starring Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, a really funny film. Billy Crystal's a very dry sense of humour and they play off real well with each other. A lot of people go back to that being the first film. You've got Nighthawks with Sylvester Stallone. Mm. Um, 
and the modern ones i suppose you talk about would be uh like bad boys and things like that rush hour as well rush hour i was just about to say rush hour yeah. that was one that sticks out in my mind absolutely brilliant films really really funny but yeah for me it's always going to go back to um chips because it's just so iconic really was and i suppose after that you got miami vice as well the original series not the dog shit 2006 <laughs> film that they made but, um well that's again that's that's my opinion that's you know. well you know that's that's the 80s yeah. what he's talking isn't it yeah but michael Mann, shit, new age rubbish what is it all yeah, yeah. i just really didn't like that but um yeah so mel gibson he he's had a kind of up and down career really isn't he uh, yeah, I mean, he did a lot of good films. I mean, you mentioned Mad Max, and I watched that again recently, the original, and I don't ever recall seeing it when I was younger. Obviously, yeah. it came out on the year I was born. So, But I watched it, and it's a film that just takes forever to get anywhere. Yeah. I think it's iconic for the fact that it's different to anything that had been released before it. But I was sat yeah. there going, when's this going to get going? And it isn't almost until the very end when it actually sort of gets going anywhere. But it's still, you know, it spawned a series and many, many people follow it. But he's, yeah, he's done a lot of a lot of really good films, you know, from Braveheart to other such ones like that and Conspiracy yeah. Theory and all sorts of good films. I think films. there is a lot of snobbery with that, though, isn't there? When mm. you get the Mad Max films, oh, I'm the same. I, I, quite a while back, I watched the Mad Max films and I, I couldn't understand why they were so highly regarded and yeah. as a cult film. And they are cult films, but they're not films I'd watch. And it's as if, if you don't think they're cult films, you don't understand them. It's it's like WandaVision. As a, for instance, number like one and two, when I did the reviews on YouTube, that... I didn't like one. It bored the shit out of me. It really was boring. I didn't like the way it was set. I knew, obviously, it would get going. It's not yeah. going to be like Endgame. Completely different. But because I said I didn't like it, even though I'm a huge Marvel fan, I've got Marvel tattoos, you know? Even yeah, though right. I said, because I, I didn't like it, I got messages saying I don't understand it. And it's like, Jesus, this is my opinion. doesn't mean it's right. It's just yeah, my opinion. Well, that's the thing. Everyone has a different opinion. That's why you have podcasts and stuff like that and people are interested in people's opinions about films. If we all thought the same thing, life would be pretty boring. Yeah. And it's great now. It really is good. It's there's so many that kind of ways this could go and it's really, really cleverly written and and it's brilliant. It's got so many people guessing so many different theories on YouTube. It's fascinating to watch, but because I didn't like the first couple and if it would have been released number one, it just wouldn't have gone down well. That's why I release one and two together. So mm. you can have one where it's like, this is so strange, but two starts picking the bits up. But yeah, it's really strange. If you don't like something and you voice it, there is that snobbery that you must like it because everyone else does. It's yeah, no, really strange. No, I, I, I do completely get that. And I am in that band camp of, I understand. I mean, I watched obviously Mad Max Fury Road, different. It's Tom Hardy, but I, to me, a brilliant film and I thought I'd best go back and watch the originals just to see what they're about and yeah I really I, <laughs> I just watched it thinking I don't get it I don't get why everyone just jumped on it saying it's such yeah. an amazing film because it it really isn't it, it towards the end 
yes, it gets fun and exciting. And I like the way it's obviously this dystopian place, but no, it wasn't. I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be, to be honest, but there you go. No. I mean, but looking at his, his things he's done previously, you know, yeah. films such as The Patriot, you know, that is such a good film. But he seemed to go through that, didn't he? He did hmm. things such as almost Britain, Britain bashing, if you like, England bashing with The Patriot. And uh, he obviously did Braveheart and stuff like that, didn't he? Where it's always us lot that are going over there and <laughs> or doing something to someone and he had to kick our asses. It's yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Well, we're looking at it. If a UFO lands, it's going to be saved. It will land in America. It will be destroyed in America. Yes. Yeah, you know, Independence Day is a prime example. But, yeah, I mean, his films are... He did some really, really good films. There was times where he peaked where he was voted the sexiest man in the world. Mm. And his career he could kind of pick and choose which films he wanted to do uh but he did choose some really weird films to do and they started to kind of go downhill um i mean signs was it was okay but it started to kind of go downhill he was like the singing detective um <laughs> edge of darkness yeah. and they're gonna get the gringo like machete kills expendables yeah really weird things that you think you don't surely at your stage in your career financially at least you don't have to choose these kind of films no but didn't he he got in quite a lot of trouble in relation to some of his thoughts in here around religion yeah he went yeah very very religious yeah yeah and i think that got him in quite a lot of trouble sort of hollywood wise didn't he so i think he probably was trying to get anything he could to get himself seen again because I think that might have been roughly around the era, era, if I could speak, that they weren't touching him with a barge pole. Yeah, but it's strange because, I mean, the film he did, Apocalypto, have you seen that? No. It's kind of set in the Amazon, and it's it's basically, and it's around like the Aztec um, time as well, where you've got the tribe... Um, who haven't been discovered by kind of people outside of the jungle and, and it's mm. their kind of journey of a family um, inside the jungle and it's all subtitled and it's a really, really good film and he's the producer of that film and it, it's just fantastic. So it, it's weird the kind of the, the peaks that he had compared to the lows. They, they do seem like the opposite ends of the spectrum but... I mean, I don't know how he's kind of thought of in America these days. You don't really hear much about him, do you? No, not at all. What? Because he didn't he direct? Say, he directed Passion of the Christ. That's right. Which was yeah. very, very controversial. Obviously, with around religious groups and stuff. I thought it was quite a good film, to be honest. I've never seen it, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, it's brutal. Um, sort of around the ending and everything. Um, but yeah, no. I'm, it's just something ring the bell yeah passion of the christ i think that's what got him in a lot of hot water that was 2004 so that's when it started going a bit downhill yeah i mean when you look at his opposite number in this danny glover i love mm. danny glover i think he's a he's a really good actor i think he's so easy on the screen to watch you know he's just he has a certain kind of he's like uh the guy who's that guy who's got a really cracking voice who did the shawshank Oh, uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, he's a kind of a similar real for me personally, just to Morgan Freeman. He's so easygoing and just so mm. easy to watch. And he was kind of more noticed for 
um, like theatre and things like that before he made it big on screen. He was obviously in the um, the Oscar winning, I think it was Oscar winning Colour Purple um, back in 85. Yeah. And then um, he kind of made his name from there. And I think he suits Roger Murtock. He is. He's And Riggs is the same with uh, Mel Gibson. You can't imagine another person playing this kind of character now because Roger Murtaugh, Danny Glover, they're, they're just one. It's hard to kind of split where one starts and one ends, you know. They're so good. Oh, definitely. Their relationship in the film comes along very quickly and it's, it's fantastic. But an interesting fact about Danny Glover's ca- character, when it was originally scripted, there was no ethnicity bound to it. Okay. And they were looking to do two white actors to do it. And it was actually his... Um, acting in the colour purple that was noticed by the casting director, Marion Doherty. Yeah. She's the one that actually suggested him for the role. And okay. so if it wasn't for her noticing him and that, he um he would never they were were gonna go with two white cops rather than the um the two that we had. So that's an interesting one. Yeah, it's amazing how fate works like that because mm. You saying that the different direction it could have gone in with like another white actor um, against Mel Gibson, but the Myrtle family, uh, like Trish, Rianne, and Nick, they seem like, and I think it's because I've grown up with them, and I mean it's not a very good kind of example, but um, <laughs> like the Cosby Show, when you I grew up with the family, mm. so you get to know them, and it's similar in the Shield with Vic Mackey's family. I mean his daughter's actually his daughter. But the whole family, through all, I think it's eight seasons, are the same people. So you do grow up with them. And I think you do get that bond because they're such a likeable family. And it's so easy to believe that they are an actual family, you know. Oh, definitely. And and that just works so, so well. And I think it's just you invest more time because if the same characters are coming back, you know it must be good. So yeah. it makes it more believable. It, it, in my simple mind, it does. But I mean, when you look at uh, Danny Glover, he's got some really, really good films. I, and I remember this film because my dad got this film out on video and I, I didn't know what it was about. And I got quite excited because I thought it was Batman. It's called Bat 21. And it's, a, it's a war <laughs> film. But And I was really excited for him to put it on. Uh, only to discover that at that time in my life that it was a boring war film. <laughs> love it he's got obviously predator as well so he's got that link with shane black but he's done some good films again he i think personally his career went a bit strange when uh he teamed up i think he teamed up i'm pretty sure he did with danny trejo um in those what films that really really terrible films about kind of being old men and they get mugged and then they kind of get revenge on the people who mugged them and stuff like that. Really crap films. And he was in quite a few of them. That's it, Badass. He was in Badass 1, Badass 2. Really yeah. terrible films. <laughs> but yeah, so his work's kind of really, really gone up and down his career. But I suppose there's so much competition. And who wants, same with Mel Gibson as well, who wants an old actor? People well, yeah. want action these days. You've got The Rock for action, nothing else. Oh, hence why um, Mel's obviously done uh, the that massive action for all the old guys that are in it now. 
Um, yeah, the expendables. expendables. Yeah. yeah. They all end up it. there, don't they? Yeah. And when you look at, and I was, when I looked at this, because it's a film I've I've always loved since I've, I, I first saw it all those years ago. Um, and again, with Predator as well. And I never realised that Shane Black, who played Hawkins in Predator, um, was the uh, um, director, sorry, not director, the writer of this. Yeah, I had no is. idea. And do you know how long it took him to write the script? No, go for it. Six weeks. Six weeks? Six weeks. And he thought it was crap. Um, and he was paid 250 grand for all the script and then an extra 150 on top when he was when it was produced. So wow. there you go. His first script he wrote was, um, I think, Shadow Company about zombies, wasn't it? He just binned it all. Was it? <laughs> Did yeah. really? Yeah, but he's obviously really talented. But I, I oh. thought it was fantastic that he... Uh, he was in Predator. I just really, honestly, didn't realise that. And when you look at his filmography of what he's done, I mean, directed Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, Iron Man Three, The Nice Guys, um, The Predator, again, a producer as well, Last Boy Scout, uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. He's done some really, really cracking action films. Yeah, big films. Yeah. And he's just written some brilliant films. The Monster Squad, so Lethal Weapon 2, uh, Lethal Weapon 3 was a screenplay for Last Action Hero. And obviously, the Lethal Weapon 4, being less said about as they go up, it's probably the better, really. <laughs> well, I think that's but, the same with most series, isn't it? This yeah, but it's really, really, his back catalogue, like library of films, is so impressive. And you you don't hear about him much, do you? No, he seems to be someone that's just in the background. He writes these things, and then, but you, like you say, it, it's almost like he's aloof. He's one of, he writes these amazing scripts and stuff, but you don't really ever hear of it. That's him. It's it is quite interesting. It's, he's just in the background. Yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't been like they have for a lot of people. When you get these random like the films in the MCU, they go for very obscure unknown kind of directors or writers or producers that because of his kind of catalogue of um, action films that he's done that he, he hasn't been linked to any of them mm. because they, they seem to link everyone else don't they <laughs> yeah that's true but but yeah but i mean back to <laughs> this film if we actually yeah. talk about yeah this we're film. Not, yeah <laughs> uh, i mean the start of it for any teenage lad when i saw this was pretty fantastic to be honest oh yeah <laughs> because you've got Amanda Hunsaker, you've got Jackie Swanson. And the reason why I wanted to highlight her earlier, she's, you learn that later on that it's been Dixie the prostitute. As I say, this is going to be a complete spoiler. So if you haven't watched it, you've not been on planet Earth, go and watch it, come back, listen to this podcast review, because we're going to delve deep into the spoilers. It's but, 34 years old. If you haven't watched it yet, blooming it. <laughs> Yeah. maybe you should keep that quiet then but, um, <laughs> but yeah you learn that amanda um has been drugged by dixie uh the, the other prostitute who is there and that she's on the balcony off her head um of uh, her bosoms swaying in the breeze and she jumps off the balcony and what's amazing is she actually did that stunt herself did she yeah which is incredible wow. and what they did was 
when you look at the the crash map, when she falls, she falls into one of those, like you see later on with the jump off the building. She falls into this crash map, which has been painted with cars on it and a road. So when it's actually filmed with her falling, it looks like she's actually falling onto the, the road. But wow. fair play to her. She did that stunt herself. Yeah, I mean, that's ballsy, isn't it? That is oh, high up. There is no way on this earth I would be jumping off of that building to do that. I don't care how much you pay me. No, absolutely <laughs> incredible. No. Yeah, it, it really, really is. Um, and yeah, and, and you learn later on that uh, Hunt, Amanda Hunsacker obviously got links to Mike Hunsacker, who and I always you get these eras and back in the the 80s and 90s a lot of the time people were together in Nam and Nam was like a massive feature wasn't it they yeah, were a mercenary in Nam and I think we've lost something now because obviously in 2021 you just can't unless the, the people involved are like 80 years old you just can't use that reference now I was in Nam black ops yeah. in Nam it's just gone yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, doesn't it? It's like well, it was World War Two before that, and you know, and now it, then it was Nam, and I guess the next would probably be Iraq or Afghanistan, wouldn't it? It's got to be, be the next Iraq, reference. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And you see in this the the contrasts of different like, people. Uh, for instance, uh, Murtagh is uh, I think it's his fiftieth birthday, and his family yeah. come and sing happy birthday. While he's and, naked in the bathroom. And he's naked in the bathroom. He's got Very a good odd. body for it. Man, he's, obviously, he plays a 50-year-old, but I think it was 40, wasn't he, at the time? Um, <laughs> but he, he does look very, very good. I will never, ever look like what he does. I can, you always will, in my eyes. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you smooth but talker. I, I won't. But he's got the, the tight family, um, and he's retiring soon. And it goes from there to seeing Mel Gibson in the morning wake up as a beer, as a fag, and his <laughs> life is pretty much rock bottom. And you yeah. learn that his wife, Vicky, died, which plays into the next film. Um, and it's kind of... Because we know more, because we know what happens in the sex film, it's like a mysterious death, basically. And she's died, and he doesn't want to go on. And it's I think he plays, because of his eyes, he plays someone on the edge really, really well. Oh, definitely. He's he's good at that sort of I'm about to lose it character yeah. very well, doesn't he? He's he's very, very good at it. He, I have to say, all of the acting in this, though it's an action film, if you like, it is really good. I think every single character is believable, especially the two main characters. But you've alluded to the family already, but obviously later on he gets introduced, doesn't he, to the family. And yeah. that scene, when I making notes and stuff it it was it was done so well it almost felt real yeah it, you know so no yeah i think you know the acting is very good yeah they they seem a really close tight fit family the kind of family that you'd want to meet because they mm. just seem so nice yeah and it, it is done so well and I, I, that's why i just love watching this so much because the characters are so familiar but they, they seem um, Hunsack, she's obviously dead, falling about 40 floors, like most people would be, and that he knows the name. So, um, and for some reason, they give it to him to investigate. Very uh, well yeah, which I don't know, I've not been in the police, but would that happen or not? I don't know. But you I then flick to Mel Gibson, and you see, again, they, at the start of this, they're always showing 
both sides, comparing both officers. They're both working to different styles. And you learn that I think Mel Gibson's <laughs> yeah, like a sure. cop with the Christmas trees. I love that scene. <laughs> okay, so let's do it. How much? How much for how much? For all of it. You want it all? Yep. He wants it he all. He wants it all. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, congratulations. Maybe a nice six-footer to put it under, huh? Hey, thanks. But the shit's going to cost you, uh, a hundred. <laughs> 20, 20, 50, 70, 25, hey, what the fuck? Hey, man. Get it, you dumb shit. One hundred thousand. One hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Sorry, I can't afford that. Not on my salary. But look, I'll tell you what. I got a better idea. Here. Now, let me say I, uh, I take the whole stash off your hands for free. And you assholes can go to jail. Hey, what do you whoa, say about that? So good. And that plays, though, doesn't it? It plays to his complete off-the-wall, you know that he's gonna, he's dangerous. Yeah. Because it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? And he's there doing his, the, dr- the drug deal. Yeah. And he's taking the piss, and they say, yeah, 100. So he gets out his wallet and just starts counting out ones and tens. <laughs> and you just see them going what the fuck is this guy doing sort of thing and they yeah. you know so they stop him and say no 100 grand <laughs> and it all just kicks off and he just puts his badge on the desk and goes how's about i just take it off you for free and it was brilliant yeah it's done so well and it's and he kind of gets held hostage and you learn that he just hasn't got like a, a stop switch in his mind he doesn't care if he dies and I get the impression, I don't know what you thought, that the rest of his team kind of are aware of that. And yeah. they kind of seem to manage him more on a day-to-day basis, don't they? Yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, he's off again. That's all right. We'll, uh... yeah. <laughs> we'll sort him out. <laughs> like, For fuck's sake, man. Why yeah. did we let him do this? <laughs> <laughs> Who let that guy do this? What's going on? Yeah, I yeah. worked with him. Yeah. But that's followed by... Which is seen, I... I always find really touchy and I always and this is kind of memorable in Braveheart as well. Mel Gibson is like a puppy dog. He's so good at giving you those sad eyes, isn't he? Mm. And the scene where mm. he puts the gun in his, and he's obviously rehearsed this a lot of times as in not kind of acting wise, but to commit suicide, he doesn't want to live. He can't live without his wife. It's really sad. and It's done really well. Oh, massively. It, I, when I went looking through, it was it was strangely, I suppose at the time it wasn't really well sort of documented about mental health and suicide and all this sort of stuff. But it was really, really well done. It was quite hard hitting. It just shows you. And obviously, you know, like you say, we've never done that. But working in that career and losing someone and dealing with that stress every day, it must be extremely difficult. Yeah, and to portray that in literally, you know, a, a few minutes worth of filming, I thought they did really, really well with that. It was, yeah, it was very well acted, very well directed. Yeah, and talking about the continuity, the the psychologist played by uh, Mary Ellen Trainer is brilliant. And again, what I like, you got the continuity of her playing the same character all the way through. Mm. But she obviously takes her job really serious and she enjoys what she does. But in every single film, they mock her, don't they? And it's yeah. just brilliant. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I think, yeah, what was it? What was the uh, governor? He said, he goes, well, if he kills himself, we know 
you know I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, and this film, I didn't realise, had the first, and I do call it, a mobile phone in it. <laughs> what, the and box? With the, yeah, attached, the, the scene where, um, after the jumper, that when Myrtle rings her, and he's got that phone, which is like having a suitcase that you're on holiday with. <laughs> that, that's apparently the first time a mobile phone was seen in a film. Really? Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Cause <laughs> it is incredible. So you can't believe they used the word mobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he walks around with it. His arm was hanging three inches lower than it should be <laughs> afterwards. But I mean, yeah, going back, that that's an iconic scene, isn't it? Because they obviously get put together because he gets kicked off of his unit because of his crazy stunt with the drugs. Yeah. And then he gets given to um, <clears throat> Murtar to look after. And then, of course, they get dragged off. They get called up to uh, some bloke jumping off a building. Yeah. And obviously everyone's seen this film. But if you haven't, it's it's a brilliant bit where he go, Riggs goes up and somehow manages to handcuff himself to this guy that's threatening to kill himself. And end up throwing himself and the guy off the building, which is yeah. just brilliant. The, the, the way he's going, it was brilliant the way he did it because he was always, oh no, all I want to talk, it's fine, you know, let's have a cigarette, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, he just switches and just his eyes open up and he goes, Do you want to jump? Let's jump. I'm going to jump. And he literally <laughs> throws himself <laughs> off the building. Did you leave without me? Hey, what are you doing? Oh no. What are you doing? See this key? Bye-bye. You're crazy! Now, you can jump if you want to, but you'll be taking me with you, and that makes you a murderer. Okay? Come on, let's go you back. You bastard! Yeah, you'll be killing a cop. Now, yeah, I'll be something. killing a psycho nut cop! Yeah, a psycho, but I'm still a cop. You coming in? Come on, I'm going in. Fuck you! I'm jumping! Do you really want to jump? Do you want to? Well, then, that's fine with me. Come on. Let's do it, asshole. Let's wait do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. I thought it was brilliant. The guy afterwards was just screaming, help me, help me. Yeah, Get this so guy away good. from me. Oh, it was brilliant. And I love that because when you see these kind of things, you just, you do think, oh, just bloody jump. Just do it. Yeah. Don't go on about it. Just do it. And the fact that it's the cop who makes him do it and the geezer shits himself, it's, <laughs> he'll probably never do that again. But it's just at that time... It was just such a good idea. I don't think I've actually seen any other film do that. No, no. I think it's that's it now. They, this took it, and I think if anyone else tried it, they'd just be criticised for ripping off a lethal weapon. Yeah, 100%. And it, it, it does things like that. It sends the message so well and so clear. Because the introduction um, to, Mer, as you said, to Myrtle, to Riggs, when one's in the office and Riggs is there cleaning his gun, or just had it, looking at his own gun for some reason in the office. And then Riggs feels like, or uh, Myrtle thinks he's kind of seen some perpetrator and <laughs> tries to take him out. And as he runs towards him, like Riggs just takes him on the floor and points the gun at him. And it's just that first introduction of what he says to him. It, it's brilliant. And that says everything. Yeah. With the famous line, isn't it? And uh, I'm too old for this shit. Which <laughs> just... <laughs> rings through rings through the rest of the films doesn't it all four it's his catchphrase yeah it's brilliant and you, you don't need any other build-up because that just does everything for you 
definitely. And you also get the the classic line of when they're meeting each other of I love it in films and I always wonder how they're going to get the name in of when Murtal you <laughs> says the, the name yeah. of the film about being yeah. a lethal weapon. Yeah. Um, it, it's really, really good because you always think, am I going to get this in? Well, I'll also say that you're heavy into martial arts, Tai Chi and all that uh, killer stuff. I suppose we have to register you as a lethal weapon. <laughs> but the story kind of moves really fast because you're instantly, like the baddies as well. I really enjoyed and there's two baddies in this. That That's all they need. And you get mm. the introduction with Mr. Joshua at the nightclub um, where they're trying to do some drugs deal. And as a demonstration of just how serious he is, he puts a cigarette lighter against Mr. Joshua's arm. And even now I look to see how they do that. And it's just done so well. It's so effective that Gary mm. Busey, what an introduction. No words are said. He just introduces him. He doesn't say a word. Puts a cigarette lighter. He makes the, the the other guy he's trying to do a drugs deal with put the lighter under his arm and just holds it there. And he doesn't say a word. And again, you don't need a lot of build-up. That says everything. Just in that 30 seconds, it says it all. And it's great. And the guy thinks they're absolutely bonkers, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He's in there, isn't he? He's trying to be the big man. And the general, played by Ryan Mitchell's sort of you know, giving him what for and, you know, because he's, oh, you've hired mercenaries and he's, yeah, I trust these these men are loyal. And that's when he grabs his arm and gets Joshua, played by Gary Busey, to literally stand there while he holds a lighter to him. And like yeah. you say, there's nothing said whatsoever. And I looked closely thinking that can't have been real sort of thing. So it'd be interesting to see how they did that as yeah, a special it, effect. It does look really effective, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, when... When you watch this, do you did you suspect? I mean, you, it's hard to answer this because it's going back such a long time. That um, Michael Hunsaker would be so involved in this, as um, responsible for his daughter's death. At the beginning, no, I, I honestly didn't. No, I mean, looking at it now, I've seen it, it. Yeah, it's. But no, at the time, not at all. Especially because yeah. his reaction, doesn't he? Because when they go and see him. His reaction to it is just, you know, he's completely beside himself because obviously his daughter's been murdered and he's, you know, screaming, get the bastards. In the middle of a, I think he's works in a car deal or whatever it is, a bank or something. He works in a bank, yeah. Yeah, and he's literally screaming at um, Murtar to kill them, you know. Now, you wouldn't do that normally in a bank, would you, if you were involved in it? if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think it's done really well. It's really subtle, and it's only when later on at the the funeral that you kind of get full disclosure. But kind of the action scenes are are pretty fast, and there's not much of a break in between them. And the scene, when they go to that really nice house, and in real life, that's I think that's Richard Donner's actual home that they used um, as a set. And they discovered the two females kind of um, cutting up drugs and the idea, and it's, and again, it's the, the chemistry between um, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, where he says, can we do at least one job where you don't kill someone, where no <laughs> one gets hurt? And he promises that no one will get hurt. And to be fair, 
And this is a question I'll ask you in a second. He saves his life. He, Mel Gibson saves Danny Glover's life. Mm. He doesn't really do his job properly. He's dicking around. And it's brilliant stunt of this guy falling in the swimming pool on top of the cover. And it's a horrible, drowning must be horrible. But knowing you're wrapped up in this plastic sheet and you can't get out of it, it's still to this day watching it a really impressive stunt and really effective. Oh, it's horrible way, horrible ways to die. But no, it was hilarious in the fact that he goes, "Can we just, you know, not kill? Can we actually question this one rather than killing him?" And he goes, "Oh, you do all the talking. You do it, you know." And obviously, he pulls the shotgun out on Murtar and he shoots him in the leg and goes up to him. <laughs> And he's like, you read him his rights. And he starts putting his gun away, being all cocky. And he gets to his feet and the guy gets out a pistol. And <laughs> Mel Gibson blows him away. But yeah, he then, he doesn't kill him straight away. And he drowns in a plastic sheet in the pool, which is horrendous. Yeah. So both jump in after them, after him to try and drag him out. It's really, really good. And again, from there, he, they go back to that Murtagh's house and you get the him with the family and you learn that Mel Gibson doesn't really have anyone. Yeah. And it's so nice. Cause I don't know. I don't know in this country with regards to the police and like partners, whether they have them, but it always seems to work so well when in like the American films. And again, I don't know whether they have it in America or whether it's something they just use for films that partners are always partners, mm. but it just, it works so well on the, the comedy you get when they're sitting on the boat that you soon realise <laughs> that Murtaugh has no idea about boats, but he's got a nice boat sitting in his front garden. He's trying to fix the engine of a boat that doesn't need to be fixed because <laughs> Riggs just turns it on while he's trying to work on it. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's just so, so funny. And and from that, you get a scene that, that I was looking at where uh, Murtaugh mentions about because he says about him being crazy and everything like that. And he talks about the sniper shot. Yeah. Because I uh, found that odd where he just put that in there. Yeah. It's a weird reference, isn't it? When I was 19, I did a guy in Laos from a thousand yards out. A rifle shot in high wind. Maybe eight or... Even 10 guys in the world could have made that shot. But I mean, because I'm a, I'm a complete nerd, I looked and the the longest sniper shot is just over 3,200 metres. No, three, it's 3,540 metres, the longest sniper shot by an unnamed yeah. person. That is incredible. I love That's stuff like that. Insane, I think it's fascinating. It? Yeah, when you take the, the wind into account, it's the circumference of the earth. And everything. I mean, that's why I loved Mark Wahlberg's film um, Shooter. So good. It really is good. I've not Going seen into, that, but that's uh, because I'm not a massive fan of Mark Wahlberg. You're not, I, are should, you? I probably should give it a go. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was a really weird comment. It's just like going out for a meal with your mates and then ending it by telling them that you killed loads of people with a sniper rifle. I'd be like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Great meal, guys, by the way. I've just uh, killed 15 people. While I was in the war. Anyway, see you later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be interesting to get your opinion on this next bit. And it always made me think that 
uh, Myrtle, obviously it was his birthday, so he's going through a few late presents. And he gets an envelope sent by Michael Hunsacker. And it's got uh, Amanda Hunsacker's yearbook. And it's got a video of her um, in the shower with other females getting her boobs out and being showered down. Yeah. What a weird thing. That doesn't help the case. And he's just sent his mate a daughter uh, a picture, a video of his daughter <laughs> of her boobs out doing some kind of girl-on-girl action. Was that sent? To kind of pull at the heartstrings, do you think? What was? Why was that sent? He didn't need the, the yearbook, and he doesn't need the video. It doesn't add anything. No, I and mean I the yearbook. Why did it? I think the yearbook was to show that there. I think one of the other names in it wasn't there. Was one of the victims, or something? Because um, he looked at the yearbook and he looks at two different girls in it, and I think they're the ones that are involved in the prostitution and the drugs. Well, cause so the, I think the, it leads it together, doesn't it? Well, because it's got, I think, well, it's Michael and Beverly Hunsacker, his other daughter, who's mentioned, like, next to each other. Oh, right, that's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, they're, because um, he mentions his other daughter. Yeah. So I, I didn't know whether that was meant, he just did it to pull at the heartstrings. I really don't know why he sent him like that video in the yearbook. It's a really strange thing to do. Uh, it's weird. Here, here's a video of my daughter's boobs. Would it have been wrong yeah. if he would have rubbed one out? <laughs> While I was watching this, I, all I kept thinking of was it would be hilarious if his missus just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> How could you explain that? It's <laughs> part of the case. Fuck off, is it? <laughs> Put your old boy away. Come to bed. <laughs> You dirty bastard. Yeah, well, hold your hand down your pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, oh, <laughs> Deary me. If you've got cases like that, I'd join the police. Let's oh, my there. Lord. I, that's just fantastic. <laughs> uh, the next scene, I, I just, I love it. And it still makes me smile. When they go on the shooting range. Oh, yes. And, and that's when they conveniently fill the whole storyline in, in case you've missed it. Um, because you've got Dixie, who was at the start when uh, they turned up to look at the body um, of Amanda Hunsacker. And they established that Dixie was there um, to plant some bad drugs for Amanda to take. And then that would kill her. And then Dixie tried to leave. She didn't realise that Amanda would throw herself out the window, causing police to come to the scene. And then she'd have to make up some bullshit story. So they then decide... They need to speak to Dixie because she's heavily involved. They've got all of that just from chatting. And again, it's very much like um, the shoot 'em up we did last week, where it's as if like, right, we really halfway through the film, let's just really fill the plot in, and we can just crack on. And it, it's it's kind of really convenient. I but, don't know about you, but why would you choose to have that conversation in the loudest place on earth? <laughs> Wearing, wearing ear headphones. defenders. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 15 Brilliant. cops in there letting off firearms and they're <laughs> shouting at each other about this case. They couldn't have heard a fucking word. <laughs> One of those things where they just both agreed with each other. They didn't know what they were agreeing on. Yeah, yeah no, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did he realise I just told him I fingered his daughter last night? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Murtaugh shoots a hole right in the middle of the face on the shooting range. And he's got 
an old-fashioned like Smith and Wesson, like I don't know, thirty-eight or something like that. Yeah. Just an old-fashioned six-shooter. Where Merck's, uh, where Wiggs obviously got the, the, the I don't know, was it a fourteen round? It's a Beretta, piece? isn't it? It's Beretta. A, yeah. And Myrtle chuffed to bits with himself, single shot, a million a face. And when he does that smiley face, it's so good. It's just yeah. so much fun. But it's just brilliant, isn't it? Because he st- stands there and he uses exactly the same um, target and he just puts it right back and he's just stood there whistling or humming away. <laughs> Myrtle's looking at him going, he's got to stop this. So, no, no, it's still going. It's still going. <laughs> and then he just lets off. <laughs> Like what is it? Five or six shots, yeah. and it just comes back humming again. Yeah, it's a um, it's brilliant. It's a smiley face, and he turns to him and he goes, "Do you sleep with that gun?" <laughs> <laughs> and they they go and see Dixie, which doesn't go very well because, and you know something's gonna. When you look at it in hindsight, like everything's different in hindsight. Mel Gibson's got these glasses on, which are virtually like safety specs, and. And Myrtle's glasses look completely different. Yeah, oh, yeah, they do, don't they? I didn't realise yeah. that. And there's, there's some kids waiting outside. Dixie's house blows up. Um, and it, it looks like it's both of them in front of it when it does blow up, which I suspect it is because of the glasses they're wearing. Mm. Because then in no other scene that does he wear those glasses. No. And Myrtle's glasses don't look like they're reading glasses. They look like safety specs, you know what I mean? That's really weird. I've not yeah. noticed that before until you just mentioned it. Yeah, and he kind of kind of pats him down as if he's on fire when you can clearly see he's not on fire. Um, and then it's quite sweet because the only witness is a, a young kid and then they have to question him. And <laughs> yeah. And it's just brilliant the way the conversation goes. Oh, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? They're all just like, no, don't tell him anything. No, because when they first arrived, they just start. It was almost like they were letting them everyone know that because they say, "Oh, look, here's the cops," and they haven't even yeah. got their badges out or anything like that. They're like, oh, right, they know who the police are. They're obviously around this area a lot, nicking oh. people. <laughs> These kids are like a, an alarm system for all the criminals in there, it's which is not, brilliant. Yeah, it's so, yeah. so funny. Because that kid is he's going, "Don't tell him your name, Alfred." Oops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Dad's army. Oh, yeah. Your name, Pike. <laughs> Don't tell him your name. Don't tell me your name was going to put you in jail. And you won't see your mom. No, no, no. It's all right. I'm not going to put you in jail. Come on. What's your name? No. Don't tell me your name, Alfred. Oh. Alfred. <laughs> it's just so, so good. And then you get the, the uh, another huge disclosure scene at the funeral um, where Mel Gibson's waiting outside. And it, I, th- I just presume that it's amanda's funeral for some reason I, I don't know if it's stated or not um where michael hunsacker says that he was in um he did air america which conveniently was a film that mel gibson and robert downey jr starred in together oh, um, okay. with the cia of smuggling cocaine um during the war and they they reckoned truthfully that the government were funding the war due to smuggling the uh the cocaine out of um, kind of Asia and places like that. Blimey. So that, and they restarted up their connections again, like the mercenaries, and that they were using Michael Hunsacker's bank to um, launder money. And when yes. he kind of got the wobbles about it uh, and wanted to back out, that's when they threatened him, basically poisoned his daughter 
um, to carry on. And he was quite happily profiting from shipping heroin into the US. So that instantly changes things. Um, and you don't learn any more because you get Gary Beauty come up a really very good scene in a helicopter and just takes him out. And, it, and that kind of you instantly learn just how dangerous Gary Busey is. And it's yeah. really good. It, oh, it's a fantastic scene because previous to that, isn't it? The little boy they interview noted, said that he has a tattoo that's the same as Riggs tattoo on his arm. Yeah. Because they all served in the same sort of thing. And that's how they got to think it was sort of this Joshua or someone like that. But yeah, yeah. it was interesting because obviously the guys in the house, the funeral home or whatever, and it was the house saying, you know, how dangerous these people are. However, he kept going by the massive windows. Yeah. And I'm just sitting, I'm sitting again. Don't go by the windows, mate. You keep talking about how dangerous they are. (laughs) (laughs) Just pop you in a minute. And they they leave a big gap by the side of the screen. It's like in the horror films, isn't it? You know, someone's going to come behind. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it was just leading to it. And it was just, but you know, you knew it was coming, but it was brilliant. The fact that you just all of a sudden can't hear this, but a massive helicopter just pops up. You know, Mel's just outside having a fag. He's all right. He's happy. And then all of a sudden, this helicopter pops up, <laughs> shoots someone through the window, through the back, and then it goes through the milk carton, which I thought was quite fun. So there's milk going all over the floor. <laughs> it's eggnog, it was. Oh, it was eggnog. For some reason, yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's the drink of choice at funerals, eggnog. Well, maybe it is. It, maybe it is. They had some left over for Christmas. But, <laughs> and then... So, yeah, I thought that was brilliant. It's like, surely you must have heard the God. Unless in the 80s they had helicopters with silences on them. Um, <laughs> and then it just flies off. And I just love that Mel just thinks, yeah, I'm going to take down this helicopter with my Beretta. <laughs> oh, yeah. And lets off two clips doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, surprising that. Yeah. Uh, th- then uh, that's followed up by when they're out on inquiries, um, Joshua comes back because they're now told, um, well, the general was told by uh, Mr. Joshua that possibly Michael Hunsacker told them everything about what's happening. So they shoot Mel Gibson, which obviously pisses him off. But they <laughs> think they got the advantage that now they believe he's dead, that they can use that as like a, like a tool to kind of mm. get by him. It's pretty flimsy, to be honest. Yeah. But and they up the ante again by going round to uh, Murtal's house and stealing, um, stealing, kidnapping Rianne, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Rianne gets kidnapped by the the bastards because they they think they've killed they think they've killed um, Riggs, so they're after Murtal now to know what he knows about the drugs. Yeah, and the plot, it, it they kind of built this up. And we're saying, like, look, this is going to get really dirty. It's going to get really bloody. We've got to do it my way. And to be honest, it's a really stupid fucking plot <laughs> that he comes up with to rescue Rianne. Yeah. Well, I didn't get this, right? Because obviously uh, Joshua. Oh, no, sorry. No, go. go. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, mate. Sorry. You go ahead. Sorry. No, because the idea is. He goes down to meet the middle of the salt flats and 
Mel Gibson gets out, I don't know, 100 yards before he gets to like, the RV point, and he wants his daughter, and he's got a hand grenade on him, but that hand grenade would not kill 15 people. <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> just a terrible idea. It's not the best idea, and I was right, it was before, because Joshua phones up pretending to be the newspaper, doesn't he, to confirm yes. that Riggs is dead. Yeah. And his old partner sort of gives that sly smile and going, yeah, you know, and all this sort of thing. But then only those two go to meet this bunch of mercenaries. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, yeah, you're right. The plan's terrible. He turns up (laughs) with a shitty little grenade in the middle of a desert. And then you've got rigs in the, in the brush, you know, just waiting It's awful, but again, that comes down to the foreshadow of when he said, I killed someone in Laos from a thousand yards away and there's only eight people who could make that shot. I mean, yeah. it, it's no good. Why didn't you get SWAT? Why didn't you tell mm. everyone else what was happening? Yeah. It, it's a terrible idea. Uh, it just, I mean, yeah, it was stupid. That's, I mean, you'd never get that signed off, would you? Oh, yeah, we, got, <laughs> we know where they are. Bunch of mercenaries, loads of drugs. Uh, we're just going to handle this, us two. Oh, yeah, no problems. Yeah, let's go. It'll be fine. Sure, we don't want any backup. Nah, we've got this. It's fine. Yeah. Don't need backup. Why would we yeah. need backup? It's going to work. Shoot someone from a thousand yards. I don't need any backup. And I've got a <laughs> shitty grenade. Yeah. <laughs> but they obviously get captured because they have to get captured. Yes. And they're going to interrogate them. And I like the Mel Gibson interrogation oh, where he's brilliant. chained up. He's that you again see the nutty side of Mel Gibson, don't you? The, the way he tortures him is very, very good. And the way it's going to be described by Gary Busey is also kind of really sinister. And there is not a yeah. lot of fights given. Who's the chin? Endo, meet Mr. Martin Riggs. Endo here has forgotten more about dispensing pain than you and I will ever know. Terrific. See, Martin, we have a problem. What I loved about this is the fact that when he's been having electrotherapy, as they call it, that Gary Busey keeps touching him. Yeah. And keeps getting shocked himself. It's yeah, just it's really it, weird. It's weird. It's like, stop touching him, mate. You keep going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> throwing your hands up like it's hurting. So stop, stop doing it. And that's the same um, Asian guy who tortures him, who gets a Twinkie in Die Hard, who's in the foyer as well. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah very shy at the time of what he, when Mel Gibson basically turns around and goes, who's the chin? And I was like, <laughs> oh, you couldn't oh, get no. away with that these days. My oh, God. No, that's terrible. And the we, we didn't talk about it as well, but... Um, and it's interesting when you talk about Die Hard because Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis were offered each other's roles. They were. I was going to put that out later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I've... No, no, no. Don't be daft. Yeah. It's really weird. It's again. It's the as I said earlier with you can't imagine people playing other characters. It's exactly the same with Tony Stark, Chris mm. Evans, and people like that. Yeah. Do you think that would have worked because of? I mean, we know Willis is an action hero as well. I don't think it would have worked, to be honest. I think he's a brilliant action film actor. I love Die Hards. I, you know, the, they, I think they're brilliant films. 
But I think, like you alluded to earlier, the way Mel can act the crazy person with his eyes and everything else like that, it really went in with this character. I don't think it would have worked as well yeah. with Bruce because I think he's too much of a hard man. Yeah. Isn't he? He's too much, you know, you punch me, I'll punch you 10 times harder. He, you know, he, he's that kind of action hero. Yeah, it, it doesn't appear to be kind of as many visual, like visible like, vulnerabilities with him, does mm. it? Yeah. But, yeah, and you again, kind of probably for the first time, maybe, I don't know, you see that the jujitsu that um, Riggs can do when he kills the Asian guy um, and manages to escape. And that's when it's kind of a, it feels a bit of a token gesture moment where they, both of them escape. And you've got the general escapes, and obviously uh, Mr. Joshua does as well. Yeah. And the, I don't know, it just it seemed like a bit of an anti-climax, the way Myrtle does his neck thing when he is going to shoot properly, and you've got the general driving at him. And it takes yeah. a, it's really good, don't get me wrong, it's one shot in the head, um, and he kills him, which is fantastic on a moving car. I just feel I'd like to have seen a bit more, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was quite an e- a quick sort of... Oh, I know he burnt alive, didn't he? The car flipped over and he, he burnt alive or what have you. But yeah, it did seem like there was... Yeah, quite anticlimactic in the sense of he was such a big bad guy and he just gets taken out quite easily, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then you get the famous... Uh, and it is, for me, the, the very first one. And and when you see people running down the road or anything like that, I, I instantly think of the Mel Gibson scene. Because when he's got the machine gun, he's running down the road. They know that um, Gary Busey is going to go after the rest of the family and kill them. So he's, he's got to get there pretty quick. And he runs. I mean, when you look at his run, I mean, that's been overtaken now by uh, Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible films. <laughs> that's true. That is true. But he can run. Mel can, Mel can run. But that man is fast. Yeah. Oh God, Over yeah, he very can. Very long distance as well. He does. Yeah. He he's got some proper lungs on him, that boy. Yeah, he can nearly run as as fast as a car, really. Yeah. And the end definitely. scene when they capture um, Mr. Joshua at Murtagh's house. Yeah. And then it, it makes me die. It really does. I mean, if you'd have to kind of write this up afterwards, how you'd write it up, I don't know. They caught the guy who was responsible for multiple murders. Shipping in cocaine, heroin, prostitution, and uh, he was cuffed, but we decided to uncuff him so they can have a, a one-on-one fight, cheered on by all the police. <laughs> yeah, it's well, brilliant. Oh, brilliant. yeah, it was brilliant because it obviously added to the fact that Mel Gibson's an odd man and he was, you know, an action hero. But it was just hilarious because obviously Murtagh's just stopping all the rest of the cops going, this is my, you know, I'm in charge, you know, let yeah. me do it, you know, and all this sort of stuff. It's like, bollocks with you. There's no way on earth yeah. that you'd be allowed to let two flokes just always fight to the death. It's brilliant. It's a really good fight as well. It's the first mm. time, I think, that in kind of American films that they actually used, um, like, martial arts and various styles of martial arts. And that was something that they really wanted to add to uh, Riggs's character. And they did extensive training um, to do it and I, I think it plays out really well I mean this is when Gary Busey was in really good shape and played a really good bad guy 
and he's a plays a great villain. He really does. Oh, you know, he's he's very good. He's because he's just so deadpan, isn't he? Most of the time, it is like he is just a an the ultimate soldier. He just follows orders. He will kill people he needs to kill. He, but he's also got that ooh sort of about him that he goes around kicking people's asses. He, he, I think he's very good. He plays it very very well. Do you very believable? Do you prefer the Gary Busey here? Or the Gary Busey, a lot of it goes on film, so it might be unfair asking this, um, in Point Break. God, blimey. Do you know what? It's been such a long time since I've seen that film. Because he's so good. He In here, he's prime, you know, fighting, the fitness. He's got that physique. He's very, very good. Mm. Uh, and it, it's the complete opposite. It really, <laughs> really is. But it's... A really, really good character, and it is so similar. The ending is incredibly similar. I'd love to play them together. And if I would have done this on the YouTube video, I would have played them together. I still might at some point. <laughs> you might have to. The ending, compare the ending to this and play them together on a screen of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. All you've got difference is Bruce Willis and Holly McLean. You've got Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. And the cuddling, <laughs> you've got the guy who comes out, Nakatomi Plaza, with the gun, and he gets shot. You've got Busey stands up. Yeah. They're both cuddling, and they pull guns out, and they shoot him. It is so similar. And you've got to give credit to Lethal Weapon, which was there first. It's exactly the same. It's frightening. It is. It is. I suppose the only difference is the fact that they both shoot him together. Yeah, and they rather are than just. Yeah, because they yeah they blatantly love each other, but it's <laughs> but yeah no you're right you're absolutely right it's basically a carbon copy. It's yeah. hilarious. It's mental. It really is. And again, that officer who <laughs> took the gun off. Yeah, we've got him. He's alive. We can question him. <laughs> Actually, uh, he's now dead. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, oh, uh, ignore my last. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. And. When they end it, when he's at his wife's grave, yeah. I wonder, um, and I've not bothered to look this up. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's other reviews and there's other podcasts or YouTube videos. And if they knew that they were going to bring his wife into the storyline, because she obviously is a like a plot driver to a certain extent for Lethal Weapon 2. Mm, I don't know. So, yeah, but just wondered. But, I mean, for you, do you think... This was Mel Gibson's peak. Do you think this was things didn't get better for Mel Gibson here? Oh. Same for Danny Glover as well. I mean, Danny Glover wise, yes, because like you said, he went on to do Predator Two. I think it was after this, wasn't it? Which yeah. I th- I thought was fairly pants compared. Well, compared to the first Predator, anyway, because that was brilliant. Um, I liked a lot of the other stuff that Mel did. Like I said. Patriot, uh, you know, the Patriot and Braveheart and things like that. So I think he sort of went on to do other things which were different but very good. Yeah. But I think this is definitely the start of when, you know, people stood up and noticed him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for me, this is the, I, I think all of the Lethal Weapon films, because I love all of them, I think they're mm. all of a similar kind of ilk and I think they're all great. And for me, it's 
It's the peak. It's what I know Danny Glover for. He can't be in anything else. No one can take his place. The TV series, and normally I ask, could this be split up into a TV series? Sadly, it was, and it's utter dog shit. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I, I think again, it depends with regards to the same thing for Mel Gibson, of when you grew up, because he is always going to be Murtaugh. When I see him, when he's old now, and I can't talk with regards to hair, but when he had that that mullet, which looked so good back then, and he yeah. looked so cool, he'll for me it'll always be um, Martin Riggs. Always, regardless of anything else. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you're right. It's it's it, it is definitely era based, isn't it? Because most people from the sort of 90s will remember him as Braveheart, but people from the 80s will remember him as Max or Riggs. Yeah. Because those were his iconic roles. Yeah. And for you, who won the film? Who was it? Oh. Um. Do you know what? They played it so well together, didn't they? Yeah. Both of them were fantastic in it. I think the chemistry between them made the film. Yeah, completely In many ways. Agree. You know, yeah, I don't I think, think either one were better than the other. I think if it, those two just, that's hence why there was probably four of them. They didn't change the actors throughout because they were just so good. Yeah, definitely. You you can't have one. It just You're right, it won't work. The dynamics... Yeah. It just won't work. And there was going to be an alternative ending, wasn't there? Apparently so. Which was involved police chase, helicopters, the Hollywood sign burning on fire, trucks exploding (laughs) and just general mayhem. I am so glad that they didn't actually do that ending Mm. and that they went the way they did. Whether they did that because it was direction on a... A second one, or whether it was budget, or whether it was just because it was a stupid ass idea, but Probably a bit of all three. But because oh. they apparently they toned down the violence in this film, it was uh, the original script was a lot more violent, and apparently they toned it down, which I find quite interesting. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? It's always weird to look back when you kind of see different ideas in things and what would have yeah. happened, and why decisions were made, which possibly could have saved the film or and have given birth to a second film yeah. uh, had they not gone down certain routes. But I mean, what's your, I mean, out of a uh, 10, what would you give it in your best bits and worst bits for this film? And would oh, you I definitely recommend it. It's, it's a classic eighties action film. Like you say, it's, uh, it's a cop film, brother cop film. They just, it's just, it's act the, the two actors in it. Busey, uh, and sorry, not be he was a good bad guy, but Glover and um Gibson were just fantastic together. Um I'd give it an eight out of ten, no problem, um, and recommend anyone watch it. Um good bits I think my favourite bit will always be them jumping off the, the roof together. Because I think it was just hilarious. Yeah. And it's the first time it's been done, and like we said, it can never be done again because this film owns it. Um there's no bad bits is there it's hard there isn't really any bad bits i suppose yes the only bad bit is probably the way um uh, the the general dies i think Mm. that could have been done slightly better with the whole head turning thing from danny glover because i'm not being funny if a car was driving at you at god knows how many miles an hour the last thing i'd be doing is 
worrying about my head movement. Um, <laughs> but you know, but there again, it's slapstick, isn't it? It's it's very much like we said about shoot 'em up. It's not trying to take itself seriously. Whereas that was awful. This is very good and it's done very well. But it, it does take the piss out of itself as uh, at the same time, and it does from the opening bit. So yeah, that's probably my first worst yeah. and best bits. No, I completely agree. I I'd score it. Uh, seven and a half, eight out of ten. I really enjoy this film. It's easy watching. I can watch it again and again and again mm. and still get the same enjoyment. Um, then the, I'd say the best bits. I'd say just there's so much of it. You'd stop and watch it if you were passing. I always kind of gauge it that if it was on and you were flicking through the channels through adverts and it was on, would you stop and watch it if you were oh, certain bits? And I would. Definitely. Definitely. And it, cause there's so many different bits. You know what's coming next. And I think that's always a sign of a good film. Definitely. And I agree. The bad bits, I, I would have liked Danny Glover, who's absolutely brilliant, to have more of a, a starring role with regards to how the general died. It mm-hmm. was it was good because it was his thing. It was a great shot. But I think he deserved more because he's just such a great character. He gave so much more. And I, I recommend this all day long. And hopefully... We can now uh, go and do the rest of the films because it'll be interesting to see whether these improved or whether these mm. got kind of got worse. But yeah, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And when you look at the budget for this film, this is estimated, and this whether this is true or not, I don't know. But 15 million opening weekend, 6.8 grossed in America, 65 million and worldwide uh, 120 million again huge huge profits back in those days in 87 that's absolutely massive and it must have made millions and millions more because again it's still such a popular film and spawned did you say four films yeah there's four there's four of them and obviously a tv series that you mentioned yeah and i have to say every time i watch this this film is the birth of the saxophone that's another oh, star yes. of the film the, the, the jazz music in it is brilliant isn't it <sighs> just oh, it's amazing all of a sudden you're like, oh it's a bit of jazz it's nice mm, i can get down with this and the, yeah, but, oh, it's just so good. The saxophone in this is just so cheesy and smooth. It's yeah. just, oh, it's dangerous. With the it time, really, really I think is. it's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> because, all right, this film was brilliant. It was, it, we both agree, you know, eight out of ten and everything else like that. And obviously, go back to listen to our other podcast about, about Shoot 'em Up. But fairly similar. I would suppose in the sense of it's running around shooting people and stuff like that a lot weaker, but it just goes to show you how films in the eighties, how they were done and they were accepted for that kind of flow compared to how they are now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's the change of the times. Whereas me and you could, like you said, if, if it was on TV or it was in a shop window or something like that, you'd happily just say, oh, I need, I love this bit. I need, I'm going to just stand here and watch it. Or if you're at home, you just carry on watching it, don't you? No matter where it is in the film, you don't have to watch it from the beginning. Yeah. It, it just hooks you. It's, it, you're completely right. 
An interesting fact about this, though, is mm. apparently Leonard Nimoy was supposed to be the director of it. Oh, really? And he turned it down. Yeah. And they, I know they were meant to, well, they weren't meant to. They did offer, because of Richard Donner's mm. involvement in it, Christopher Reeves. And he, Christopher Reeves will forever be Superman, regardless of what role he plays. And I just think it's perfection, both of them. You just can't think of anyone, honestly, who would have, uh, who could have made this any better in any kind of way, you know? No, definitely. But I agree. It'd be interesting to review the, the other three to see yeah. how they went along the line. But yeah, it, it'd be interesting if they should have just left it. Like mm. so many franchises do, they take it that one te- step too far. Robocop, point in case. One's fantastic. Two, it was pretty damn good. Number mm. three, if you never saw it, it wouldn't matter. It's, and do you, you know. Do you think this film's dated at all? Um, I suppose it has in the sense that your mobile phone's a brick or more than a brick. It's half a building. Um, <laughs> and no, I, honestly, I wouldn't care if, no, to me, the, the, the film itself, it's set back in the eighties, but it's, it's just brilliant. It's yeah, just watchable. I yeah. I don't think, I think it's very fortunate that it stays away. As you say, apart from the phone, it stays away from technology. Yeah. It's just drug dealing could be done that it's Gulf War, it's like Afghanistan, poppy fields, um, cocaine, things like that. Yeah. But it hasn't dated because it stays away from technology. And and it's always another classic film which we've reviewed, Die Hard. That film can't be done again because due to technology, you can't be held hostage unless you've got some kind of blocking device. But you just can't do it. You can't help people hostage in a building with, with um, like social media and things these days, it would just get out of what's going on. Yeah. And it's a real shame that technology has taken away and, and made films like Die Hard just not possible, or even like Tower Inferno and all different films like that. But I think this film doesn't date. It's so lucky. It's, and that's what makes it just such a good film and that it would be so wrong to remake this film, you know? Yeah, I really I hope, hope they don't do that that criminal thing of remaking a classic that didn't need to be remade there's just there's no need for hollywood to touch it no just definitely stay away stay away stay away from it yeah is there anything else you want to add to this uh no i think it was a pleasure it was lovely to watch it again after all those years you just like i say you sort of you look at it and you forget how good it was it just it was you know, looking up some facts as well, it was quite interesting, this one. But in the background in the film, or in this film, uh, you will notice in a couple of shots, Free South America and the Apartheid. Oh, Free South Africa. Yeah, see, Free South Africa and the Apartheid. Yeah. Now, apparently, um, the director, or they got death threats in relation to this. And that is what made him go on to do number two. What for the you got death threats for the free South Africa yeah. fridge stickers? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Even the little boy Alfred was wearing a T-shirt that said it, but you couldn't read it during the film. But yeah, it was um, apparently he got death threats for it, and oh, that's oh, what yeah. caused him to do number two or agree to do number two. God, so well we we benefited from the narrow minds of people, didn't we? In that case. Basically, we have. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that was folks, 1987 lethal weapon. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. 
remember you've got uh, our email address, uh, thefilmrealcast at gmail.com. If you've got any requests of films you want to do, or if you think some of the things we've spoken about are complete nonsense, we often do, and I think about that myself <laughs> as well. So uh, we should have done Calibre, but we wanted to do something this week, and off the cuff we've done Lethal Weapon, and I'm really pleased we have, because I've really enjoyed um, talking about it again. It's a great opportunity. But we're back next week. We should have James as well. So we'd have the whole gang. We'll have James doing the intro, which I enjoy. I know you do as well. Neil. Oh, he's been missed. He's you been never missed. know what is going to come out of that man's mouth. He's a genius. <laughs> so we'll have him back. We'll have the whole gang and we will talk about Calibre. Available on Netflix in the UK. So if you've got Netflix, Calibre, watch it. It's a really good film. Watch it now, then listen to our podcast. They're coming out every single week. So I'm Stuart. You're Neil, and it's been a pleasure, and we will be back very, very soon. Goodbye.